Amen. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Man, we didn't, I didn't even talk with Greg this week, but we bookended the worship set with talking about this is amazing grace and then how good a good, good father God is. And that's kind of goes right along with what I'm going to talk about this morning. So that was definitely God's doing in that, uh, lining that up. So thanks, Greg and Kirk, for leading us this morning. That was an awesome worship set. And so it's good to see you guys here. It is also uh, good to every now and then let the worship pastor, or the, the youth pastor, I'm definitely not the worship pastor, but let the youth pastor get a go up here and see if he knows anything. And so I'm grateful to uh, have this opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. Hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. Did you guys make it to the Christmas Eve service? It was such a good time out there. It was beautiful if you were in here or if you were outside or if you were at home. Um, that God provided a way for you to be a part of what was going on and able to celebrate Christmas. And so uh, that was such a cool time. And so who's glad that this is the last Sunday of 2020? Amen. Amen. Yes, thank God. This has been one of the weirdest years of, uh, of my 43 years on this earth. Um, as I look back and think of all the things that's happened, and this is definitely the, uh, one for the, for the record books. Um, but for our family, we've been blessed. You know, we haven't missed out, on, haven't had any job layoffs or anything. Um, actually, I got a job at the food bank during COVID, which has been really cool for our family. Uh, it's been a blessing. Um, we haven't had to deal with uh, too much sickness in our house. We got COVID. It kind of ran its course, and, you know, we're all back to health uh, immediately in our home anyway. Um, one of my older sisters is not doing well right now, but we, as a family, uh, God has been faithful, and so that's something that we all just want to celebrate. I know we all haven't had that same luck or that same grace of having, you know, kept our jobs or had family members sick. It's been a tough, tough year. Um, so what I want to share this morning is just uh, some good news about what God is doing and the promises that his word has for us for 2020 and beyond, right? Because 2021 stuff isn't just magically going to change overnight, right? But the same thing, that God is the same yesterday and forever, amen? And so if he was there to get, push us through 2020, he's going to be there in 2021 with arms wide open and he's going to sustain us and provide for us through whatever we may face in 2021 also. And so let me give you two pieces of good news before we get started. Number one, nothing that has happened in 2020 has been a surprise to God, right? He is sovereign, he is in control, and he is still on his throne. And so everything that has happened, whether we understand it or not, has all been in God's control. And so nothing is surprising him. And his grace is sufficient for whatever we may encounter. Amen? And so number two, believe it or not, God is using this season of difficulty and of stress and of whatever's coming your way. He's using this season to grow you, to stretch your faith, to grow your perseverance, to grow your endurance, uh, to deepen your boldness for sharing the good news with others. He is definitely using this season of difficulty and strangeness for your good, whether you can see it immediately or not, but it is happening. He is using it for your own good. Uh, so now that I've got that out of the way, 
Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the struggles that the Apostle Paul was facing and how he was able to sustain through some of the things that he was encountering. And so I've taught through this passage before. I love this passage of Scripture. Um, I haven't taught it recently, so it was good to get back in there and kind of do my homework, so to say. And uh, so to kind of set this up, what's going on here is you can't just jump into a passage and understand the whole context of what's going on. So to, to go back just a little bit is um, Paul is not in Corinth when he wrote this letter. And so after he had already been there and helped establish the church, he did what Paul did and left and went somewhere else to work on a new church. And so he's sending a letter back to this church of encouragement, but also it's a letter of um, trying to set some things straight. And so while Paul was out and not in Corinth, some new teachers came in. Some, he called them false apostles, and, and these guys were trying to, to distort what Paul had taught. It was to, trying to bring in a different gospel. And not only did Paul want to refute those things, these things, this, this hurt Paul's heart because he had poured so much into this church. He loved these people in this church, and to see them going awry and following the new gospel, it, it pained his heart. And he was hurting. And, he, and in fact, he had to kind of defend himself because these, this, the people in the church were saying, don't listen to Paul. We're, we're better apostles than he is. And so Paul just had to go back and kind of brag on himself. And he says, I hate, to, I hate to brag. I sound like a madman in doing this, but I've been tortured for the gospel. I've been beaten 39 times. I've been shipwrecked. I've been imprisoned. I've done all these things for the gospel. And he's having to kind of build himself back up in the eyes of this church to kind of give himself uh, an end so they will listen to him again. And so he's, he's bragging on himself. He doesn't want to. He's hurting. And so that brings us in here to chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 1. So we're just going to read through verse 1 all the way through verse 10, and then we'll go back and kind of dissect it a little bit. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up in the paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. On be, um, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, we thank you this morning for allowing us to gather together in your presence. 
to sing your praises and to examine your word. Lord, may your spirit just just penetrate our hearts this morning to uh, reveal to us what you want us to know from your word. Lord, I just pray that you uh, do a work in our community and help us, God, to be bold for you to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if we go back to verse 1 and look at what's going on here with Paul. He's talking about this bragging that he doesn't want to do. He's talking about this boasting. He says, so I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. He doesn't want to talk about it. So instead, he's going to go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So to him, he says, this is pointless. I don't want to keep talking about myself. I'd rather be sharing to you about what God has done. So now I'm going to share with you about what God has done. I'm going to show you this vision that I received. And so in verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. So this wasn't something that happened just recently. In 14 years, a long time, right? But Paul's memory is not fuzzy because this is a revelation from the Lord that he saw. This was something that once he saw it, you would, he would never forget it. But it, it seems as though from the context that we have that he's been quiet about it, that he hasn't shared this with anyone. But he's at this point where he has to somewhat defend what he's taught these, this church in Corinth. So he's going to say, you know what, I'm going to share this with you. I don't even know if I can explain it all the way because it was such a, a supernatural event that happened, but I'm going to share with you anyway. And he says, I don't even know if I was in the body or not in the body. I don't know if it was a spiritual God took me in spirit or he took my entire body. I have no idea, but I know that, well, I don't know, but God knows. And so that's a, such a neat, just that one little snippet of sentence. I don't know, but God knows. It's got to become one of my favorite because a lot of things I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I don't know the whys or the hows, but I know that God knows. And so I'm just trusting him. And so Paul is saying this, and uh, he, he talks about this this word in the Greek where he was, um, he was caught up in the third heaven. So that means that he left this earth, went to heaven, and saw this vision. And so in the Greek, this word caught up is, uh, comes from the word harpazo, which is only found in that usage four times in the New Testament. And so it's twice in this passage. He talks about being caught up into paradise, caught up into the third heaven, but it's also used in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where we will be caught up in the air with Jesus, and in Revelation 12.5. And in all of those instances, when that word is used in the Greek, it is a supernatural being caught up. It is not just a, an imaginary thing. It's not just something that he saw in his sleep. No, he literally left earth and was caught up into heaven. And so if you remember back in, in Acts chapter 8, when Philip is... Uh, witnessing and teaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and he is sharing with him. We see that word there as well. And so if you look in Acts chapter 8, in verse 39, this is another one of my favorite passages. It's kind of a running joke in my house. If I get asked to preach, I'm going to preach from Acts chapter 8. But I swear I've only done it a few times, but it, 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 as much as we joke about it, it seems like I've preached it 20 times. But Acts chapter 8, verses... Uh, 38 through 40 says, and this is talking about Philip, and he commanded the chariot to stop, that's the eunuch, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. There's that being caught up, completely just vanished, left the earth. And the eunuch saw him no more. So he was gone after he baptized him. He gone. I don't know if that's the Greek word for it, but that's how I like to use it. Uh, he wasn't there anymore. And in verse 40, um, Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel into all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip's there one moment, baptized in the eunuch, comes up, gone. Got caught up and was placed somewhere else. And it's such a common supernatural thing that Philip doesn't even like, what am I doing in Azotus? He just starts preaching. Like he's just so, he knows the spirit of the, of the Lord can do things that he doesn't even question it. He just goes right on preaching. And so we go back to Paul and, and Paul is caught up into the third heaven and given this vision. He is removed from this earth for however long that God gave him this vision. And uh, in verse 3, I know that this man was caught up into paradise. We saw in verse 2, he used heaven and this, the third heaven. And this verse, he uses paradise. It's the same place. Uh, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Again, he uses the word paradise to describe heaven. He's saying, I don't know how I got there. I don't know if I was there in body or in spirit, but it's, I was there. And in verse 4, and I heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And so this vision and this revelation was so specific to Paul that it wasn't for him to go and tell everybody else. This was Paul's vision that the Lord gave him. It was revealed just for him and him alone. And because it was such a supernatural event, Paul may have not been able to, to, to retell it even if he wanted to. I mean, if we read some of the other visions and stuff that we see in Revelation and in the other prophetic things, don't, some of it sounds pretty unimaginable. Like you couldn't even explain it if you wanted to. And so that may have been it too. Paul may have just not been able to communicate it even if he wanted to. But I think it's more specifically, it was just for him and for him alone that he wasn't meant to share this vision. And so skipping down into verse, we're not skipping, but next verse is verse 5 and 6. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own, I will not boast. So we know this is Paul. He doesn't want to outright say this happened to me. He says that I will boast on this man, but not of myself. Because again, he just doesn't want to boast in himself. But we know it's Paul because he says right there, so know that no one will think more of me. And then he sees and hears or hears from me. So he's talking about himself. He just doesn't want to outright say it. He doesn't want to boast. Um, and so in verse 7, again, obviously it's Paul. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of this surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So there's some, there's some key words in that verse. First of all, so to keep me from becoming conceited. So because of this great revelation that Paul said, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, he believes that God didn't want him to become conceited or overly prideful because of who he was. Like, look at me, I'm Paul. I got to get caught up in the third heaven and see this vision. You didn't get to see this vision. You didn't get caught up in the third heaven. He doesn't want to have this, this pride about him. And so God, in order to keep him from becoming proud about it, to, to keep him from becoming conceited, because of these great revelations, gives him this thorn in the flesh. Now again, the Greek word here for thorn does not mean like a thorn, like we think of it, as a, like a, on a rose bush or something. The Greek word for it is more like, um, like a big tent stake, like a wooden stake, or even maybe a small spear. And so he's talking about this, this thorn in the flesh. It's not just, ow, I got this thorn in my finger. 
It's causing him great pain. Imagine having a, a tent stake slammed into your side. That's going to hurt really bad. And so he's, he's, it's not that he's got this literal stake in his side, but it's just this, he's trying to express the amount of pain that he has, that he's, this grief that he's had for, the, for this church that he loves and he's poured so much into. And so a thorn was given him in the flesh. Now what's the thorn? A messenger of Satan to harass me. That's what the thorn is that's causing him this pain is this messenger of Satan. Again, in the Greek, this messenger is, the Greek word is angelos, so it's, it's an angel of Satan. So basically a, a demon is allowed to torment him, to keep him from becoming prideful, becoming conceited. And so we've seen in Scripture before where God has allowed the enemy to to. to do things to people like we've seen in Job. The Lord allowed that. So again, the Lord is allowing Satan to harass, or maybe in your translation, to buffet Paul, which is through this, uh, this messenger of Satan to harass him, to keep him from becoming conceited. And so there's a lot going on in this. So Paul, again, feels the need that he was needed to be humbled, right, because of these great revelations. And so how many of us have ever needed to be humbled? Or maybe you were humbled and you didn't want to be humbled, but you got humbled instead. Um, so about 10 years, almost 10 years ago now, I was, had just started in ministry, had, had preached once or twice beforehand, but our pastor in Kansas was going out of town to do uh, disaster relief work and asked me if I wanted to preach. And as, of course, as the youth pastor, somebody who's only been in ministry for a little while, I'd, of course I love these opportunities. I'm like, yes, please. And he said, well, there's one catch. This is my Sunday on our rotation that I have to preach at the nursing home. I was like, okay, cool. He's like, so at 9 o'clock, you have to preach at Fostoria. At 11 o'clock, you have to preach in, at Crossroads, 3.30 at the nursing home, and then 6 o'clock back at Crossroads. So I'm like, cha-ching, ser- four sermons in one day. I, I'm, I'm all about it. I was so excited. So the first two went pretty well, you know. But that nursing home experience was something I'll never forget. And it's not because it was a nursing home. It was because of what happened after I got done talking. We were in this little bitty chapel. The chairs were probably four or five wide, maybe five deep. So it may have been 20 little chairs. It was a beautiful little chapel with the stained glass windows and everything. And I taught. We got down, and we're saying hello to the residents. Amy and I are there. And we didn't know we were the worship team, too, when we got there. We were like, surprise, you guys got to sing. So we're like, great. So we had luckily had an iPod with some, with some uh, hymnal instrumentals, which everybody has hymnal instrumentals on their, on their playlist. And um, so I got done teaching, and, and we're talking to the friends, and this one sweetest little lady comes up to me, and she shakes my hand, and then she grasps it with both hands, and she says, don't worry about it. You'll do such a better job next time. <laughs> and it was such a humbling experience. And not, not paralleling this, she wasn't a messenger of Satan sent to, to humble me, but she was, God used her in that moment to humble me. Because when you've only had the opportunity to teach maybe five or six times, and when you're in church setting, nobody's going to tell you you did terrible, right? Even if you did terrible, church people are going to tell you you did a great job, that was such a good message. Not saying we're a church, we, don't, we, don't, we lie, but that we just... You know, we, we want to encourage each other, right? We want to say, you did a good job. Keep doing your thing. 
But she humbled me in that story, in that, in that day, and it was such a needed thing that God wanted to humble me. And so I always think about her when I read this. Again, not because of that she was sent as a messenger, but she was there for that time and place. And so going back to that, um, you know, there, there are some, there's a, a little bit of disagreement, and, and you know, Scott and, and uh, Greg can probably speak to it better, but it's, there are some biblical scholars that, wanna, that, that say that this thorn, uh, it wasn't a, a physical ailment. Some people will say it was, he's talking about his, his eyesight because he had bad eyesight later in life, that he even wrote his letters in big print. Um, but from what I'm reading and how I interpret the text and how I've done some, some homework in there, it says, you know, it, it, this is a spiritual battle that's going on in that church in Corinth. And these false teachers are pr- giving this uh, perverted gospel and they're distorting what, ta- what Paul has taught. And so this is a, a, a spiritual pain that he's feeling, this, this thorn in his flesh, this demonic um, harassment that he's getting um, is, is coming from this spiritual battle. And we know that, that, like I said, that God can and has used the enemy to, uh, to do what he wants to have happen, to, to do a work. And so back to verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And so it wasn't, this isn't incidental that it's three times, right? Um, Paul pleaded with the Lord to take away his pain. You know, God, please take this from me. Please take this, remove this thorn from me. God, please take this away from me. And the answer was no at every time. And it's just, it, it, it takes us back to even to Christ when he's in the garden and he's pleading. It, you know, three times he pled with, the, with his father to take this from me, take this cup. If there's any other way, take this from me. And in both of these instances, they were wanting a different answer than what they received. But what they received is exactly what God intended for them. And it was the best answer that Paul could hear is in verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so this is another, another verse that has a lot going on in it, but that's the, that's the best answer in that circumstance that Paul could have heard from the Father. It was not, yes, let me take this away from you after the first or the second plea or even after the third plea. The answer that he received was, you don't need me to take this away from you because my grace is better than this. My grace is more sufficient. So whenever you are made weak, then I am strong. And so he's, the, this, the great thing about the grace being sufficient is not just saying my grace is good enough, because it is, but his grace is sufficient in that it's never exhausted. You, he's not going to run out of God's amount of grace. That there's not this trial size. Like we've been using hand sanitizer like crazy lately. You can see them little bitty hand sanitizers that people could. You don't get that much grace when God gives you grace. It is an overabundance. It is an outpouring that you can't use up. You're not going to run out. And so Paul's the sufficient grace is it's sufficient today. It's sufficient tomorrow. It'll be sufficient next week. You will not run out of his of this grace. And so his this his power is made perfect in Paul's weakness, right? And so even though Paul wanted something different, he wanted a different answer, 
God in his infinite wisdom and in his great grace said, no, this is what you need at this time. And my grace is sufficient for you. And so in verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul is saying that for Jesus, for Christ, for to be called his child, I will gladly take on all these things. I will gladly endure being shipwrecked. I will gladly endure these imprisonments, these beatings, being 39 lashes. I will gladly endure these hardships because I know that in my weakness, God's power is made perfect. And he, whenever we've run out of our own self, whenever we can't do it anymore, we can't go on any longer, we've run out of the, we're at the end of our rope, basically. There's no more that we can give. There's God's power made perfect in our weakness. Because we are weak and we can't do it on our own, but God's grace is sufficient, right? All day, every day. And so Paul is saying here that no matter what we're experiencing, no matter what trial we may encounter, no matter what next pandemic we may face, no matter what new mutated strain may come our way, that God's grace is sufficient. Past, present, future, His grace is enough for us. His grace makes us overcomers. His grace, because of His grace, that we can even be called children of God because of the goodness and of his grace he sent his son so that his son would, would die on a cross for us, shed his blood for our sins, making us adopted children to the family of God. All that is through his grace and his mercy. And so it's because of grace that we are able to sustain and endure these hardships, that we're able to gather together as uh, as the family of God and worship him together and praise him together and um, it's all because of his grace so let's pray and um, we will close right there so father we again we thank you so much for your goodness we thank you for your mercy and we thank you for your grace that grace that endures that grace that has unlimited supply and uh, that grace that has the power to save so, Lord, we just give you time, our hearts and our praise today. Lord, we, are, we will lean on you and uh, place our hope and trust in you in this coming year in 2021, just like we did in 2020. And we know that you will sustain us through it all. So, Lord, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.